0: Would you please stand with me? I'm going to pray and we're going to jump right into the word. Would you bow your head? Your head's with me, please. Today, Lord, we are so thankful for the service thus far. And we are grateful for the people that are here, for what you are doing in the community. We thank you for life. We thank you for health. We thank you that we understand and know now that life comes from from you. We know that you have blessed people with various gifts and talents and have given them the ability to understand the body and to help us. And today we pray that we will take preventative measures to take care of the body that you have created. Today as we delve into the Word of God, we are always reminded that we need to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We need to walk out the life of the Word. We need to be prepared to allow the Word of God to transform us from the inside out. And today we pray that you will give us ears, bless us today. We honor you and give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I preached this sermon back in January for Jesse's funeral. I'm going to take the same passage which is part of our series and add some other points but I'm taking the same passage that I preached and I thought well should I go over I Said no this is part of the next course that we've been studying and so for those who may hear some of the points referenced you know that you've heard some of them before. Matthew chapter 20 verses 1 through 16, Matthew 21 through 16. As you know, we've been taking our time and going through the study in the book of Matthew. We have been in Matthew for some time. And so today we want you to continue to follow, and you can even read ahead. In fact, if you want to read the rest of Matthew, the next few chapters, please feel free. This is what it says Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour, excuse me, so they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give, give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first Last, The title that I've given this message is, We Are Recipients of God's Grace. We Are Recipients of God's Grace. Chapter division breaks in the Bible. Chapters 20 and various breaks in the Bible. They are not inspired by God. When we look at the chapters and the divisions, chapter 1, verse 1, They are not inspired by God. God's Word is inspired, but where the divisions occur, basically scribes put those in to make it easier for us to understand. Because the writing used to be just straight on a scroll, even without punctuation. And so when we look at chapters and verses, those are not inspired, but God's Word is inspired inspired. God's word, it is his breathed out word. The word of God is his word. It comes from him. And when we consider the fact that Jesus is the living word, he is the Logos, the Word of God, we need to understand that He values what He has put on the pages of Scripture. The parable that Jesus continues to tell here, that he begins to tell, it flows from what Jesus has already been saying in chapter 19 that we have been studying and reading. When the Lord talks about the last will be first and the first last, if you recall, there had been a young man that ran to Jesus saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And as we've gone through that, so when you look at chapter 20, you... I don't want you to think that there's a whole new scene. It is a continuation of what the Lord has already been discussing. And he gives further evidence of this in the parable that he now gives. Let me say this at the beginning as we get to point one. The, the parable that we, that we have here and something that we've discussed on Wednesdays is can anybody tell me how many points does a parable have? How many main points? One. I see a hand back there. One main point is what a parable makes. It may have different things that you can get out of it, but it is primarily addressing one point. The key focus of this parable is dealing with God's grace and His mercy. And we'll look at that as we go through this parable. Point number one, and I'm using the same points that I used in the service back in January, and that is the hiring of the workers. The hiring of the workers. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 7. The common place to find a worker during these times was the marketplace. Marketplace. If you wanted to be hired, if you were a day laborer, you needed to be in the marketplace. Jesus has to continue to expand our understanding of who he is. And so Jesus uses one of his wonderful parables to teach a great truth about his grace and his mercy. Let me say something just briefly about grace and mercy you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. You can never earn or work for or merit God's grace and his mercy. He, he tempers this, this world's the wind, he tempers the world's atmosphere, and he and allows you to be able to breathe. He allows you to be able to enjoy the sunshine. You cannot pay for that. You cannot pay for the sun. You cannot, paid, you cannot pay for the wind. You can't pay for the wind. God gives that. You cannot pay for heaven. That becomes a very key point for many people. Because when they talk at many, many times at funerals, they are always talking about how good a person was. And so therefore they are going to heaven. You cannot earn your way into heaven. And even though this parable is not dealing with salvation, we can glean some points from this here. If you're not careful, you will begin to think that if you work hard enough, you can get to heaven by your good works. It is a fallacy. It is wrong thinking. The only way you get to heaven is is when the Lord sees that the blood of Christ has been applied to your life. We will be rewarded for the works that we do here, but your salvation, how you get to heaven, is based solely on what Christ has done. And understanding, as I said, that chapter and verse, the breaks in the Bible helps us in our reading, the flow of Jesus' response to Peter's question and the events that have occurred with the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 are still a part of the, un- of the unfolding of Jesus' teaching. He continues to unfold this matter of how then can a person get Heaven, if the rich can't get there, Lord, how the world, it's a matter of God's grace. When we look at this parable, the work day in these times uh, would be from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. as a reference. They basically work from a 12-hour day even though we know this 24 hours, their day was a 12-hour day. The time is considered hourly between the hour of the 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. So when the Lord talks about going out at the third hour, that would be 9 a.m. When he talks about going out at the sixth hour, that would be noon and so on. But when you get to 6 p.m., The day basically changes to what we basically call the watches of the night, which normally are in spans of three. So from 6 p.m. to 9 would be the first watch. From 9 to 12, the second watch, and so on. But in the time from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., we find that the hour is used. And so we note that Jesus goes out in the morning, and he finds people in the marketplace waiting to be hired 6 a.m. That's early. Some of you all are just turning over at 6 a.m. to continue your sleeping. Nothing wrong with that, unless you're supposed to be at the job at 6 a.m. We know from the start of this parable, it is a comparison of what heaven is like. He says it right at the very beginning. It can be compared to. So we must keep in mind that with the kingdom of heaven being mentioned, we need to see how the goodness of God is seen in this parable. We note that these first workers get to the marketplace early, and this is to be commended. I am not a morning person. I like to stay up late and sleep late, but I can't always do that. Some of you are early risers. God bless you. Get up and your eyes are wide open. Jump right out of bed and go, oh, no, I need a good few minutes to do my stretching and sit on the side of the bed for a few minutes rubbing my eyes and looking at the alarm clock to make sure it's right. I am so glad sometimes when I wake up two hours before it's time to get up. Oh, Lord, I got another two hours. Hallelujah. Man, I tell you, that's good news. When you wake up about four and you know you got a a few more hours of sleep, oh, my, thank you, Jesus. But when you hear the alarm clock sounding and 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 you feel like you just fell asleep, you go, no, something's wrong. I just closed my eyes. And you just think, and then you tell yourself, "I'm going to do better. I'm going to bed at seven o'clock tonight. As soon as I get home, yeah, right." And the same thing continue on, continue on when you go to bed, go to bed late. Now, this first group gets there early, and we note something very interesting here in this first group. Note what it says. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. We know right from the top that in the first group that Jesus, that the Lord talks about in this parable where the master of the house goes to, we notice that there is a contract that is established. We note there is a verbal contract with these workers and they come to the agreement for a denarius a day. That was the common pay for a day labor. It was the common pay for a Roman soldier. It was actually considered good pay. In your Bible, it it may say a penny. Please don't put our copper penny in the sense of value, back on this time, quite different. The values were quite different. So a denarius would be considered good pay for that day. And so this first group that is there, they bargain and come to an agreement that they are to receive a denarius, and they are sent off to the vineyard. Now the next three groups who are hired by the owner at the third The sixth and the ninth hour, we are told that he says to them, whatever is right, I will pay. We don't have any contract being established with the next three groups. Five groups in total. The morning group, the groups three, six, third hour, sixth hour, the ninth hour, which would be 9, 12, and 3 p.m., But we do know something about that first, the the group in the third hour. He noticed that they were standing idle and he sends them into his vineyard. Now this next group there has to understand and believe that the pay that they are going to receive is going to be fair. They leave the decision of what they are going to get with the master of the house. They must believe him to be a fair man, and so therefore they don't even haggle over the amount. Whatever is fair, I will pay. Interesting that the manager has the ability to pay. There's no even mention of how many workers each group has. We know there's more than one. There seems to be several. You all go into my vineyard to work. Do you not know that God created work in the very beginning of time? In the very beginning, in the garden, Adam and Eve had work. They were to tend the garden that God had made. I was so glad this this morning when I drove past a certain house on Drake Avenue where the weeds were taller than the house. It had been cut. I was glad to see that. All the other houses looking nice, but that one house needed to be cut. The grass needed to be cut. I was glad to see that this morning. It shows and tells me that somebody cares. At least when they did it. If you don't take care of certain things, it will overgrow. God is not going to come down and cut your grass. We expect God to not only supply the job, but to go do the work. The Lord has given us the ability to go work. Bless the Lord for those who have been able to work and retire. But you know oftentimes what people do when they retire is, i got to find something to do. I need something to do. Why? Because God has put it within us that, that we want to do something. It doesn't have to be something all day, but we want to find something to do. It can be, can be something around the house, whatever it may be. Because God has put that in the heart of people. And so he sends these individuals out and tells them to go work. We then have the owner going back to the marketplace at the 11th hour. That would be 5 p.m. One hour before quitting time. Now in this 11th group, there is a question about why they have been standing idle all day long. With the other three groups before, there is no discussion, no questioning, there's no discussion. But with the group that has been there, that is now there at five, there is a question that's asked of them by the master. He says, "Why do you stand here idle?" All day. We note in the first group that there was a contract that was developed. We notice in the next three groups that he says, whatever is right, I will pay. And then we find that when the answer comes from the day laborers, he says, no one has hired us. And the owner of the house says, you go into the vineyard. To work. There's no further discussion about why. There's no discussion about were you guys here early enough? No. The fact of the matter is that they are sent. Now, let me say this. We know that this landowner, this manager of the house, also who's a landowner, he continues to go back to the marketplace, and it does not necessarily appear that he's really in need of workers. But it seems like he is going and he's looking for people to go out and work because he wants to bless them. There is no question at all about, well, I, I, I only have this much left. No, there seems to be enough work that needs to be done. Maybe it's harvest time as he harvests the, harvests the grapes the and, and therefore he needs the extra help. That could be the case. But there's no question about it. It seems that he has... More than enough to be able to help meet the need. So he hires this fifth group where there are no terms disclosed that we see. He just says go into the vineyard and they go. They are in the place that they need to be in order to be hired. Do you not know that you can be in the wrong place? At the wrong time, when you think about this case here, when you are in a certain place, or if you're not in a certain place, you can miss something. You can miss your blessings. You can say, I should have been there, but I was over here. There are some times when we need to be in a certain place and we've decided, I'm not going to be there. There may not be any real good reason why, but we just make the decision, I'm not going to be there. And then when something good happens, you say, I wish I was there. I've done that several times. But these men are in a place where the manager is able to come and find them, and he gives them work and they go. When you don't have something, nor own something, you need to be careful not to demand that which you are not rightfully entitled to. When you don't have something nor own something, you need to be careful not to demand that which you are rightfully not entitled to or which you are not rightfully entitled to. Entitlements make you feel that you deserve something that you really did not work for or belongs to you you got to be careful with entitlements. Entitlements can make you lazy. Thank you for being quiet. Entitlements can make you feel that somebody else owes you something you didn't work for. I've told you I have a problem. When I was in school spending hours down here in this study studying... Trying to get through because I had to go, trying to get a degree, trying to get my lesson to have a person who hung around all day long doing nothing says, Now what you got I deserve to have. No, you don't. When a person has put in the effort and they have put in their time, you don't get a right just to come and demand it. Now let me say this. If you know throughout the Bible, the Bible gave the church in that time the responsibility of taking care of the needs of people. Do you not know that was part of what the tithes and the offerings were being used, were used for for the children of Israel? When they gave 10%, and actually they gave actually up to 22 and a third percent of their income, because not only did they take care of the Levites and the priests in the temple, then they had those that were poor and destitute, that a portion of that went to the poor. It was the church where the tithes and the offerings helped support. It was never the government. It was given to the church. When people ask the church for something and they don't attend, nor do they put anything in, why can't, because it's those who are in the church that support the church. The church does not get money from the government to run its operation. So when we don't have something, because people have not either given or we have to wait, whatever the case may be. We have to manage what we have. But in the Old Testament, it was the church. When people say that the government owes you something, that is not even the role of the government. The role of the government is to protect you and to not put barriers around you in order for you to make it. In other words, not so many restrictions that you cannot make it and prosper. It is to unleash the fetters that could be put on you so that you can make a living and a good living. Not saying you can't do this, you can't do this, Wrap you around. No. It is to allow you so that there's no interference. I'm just going to take a, just a small detour before we're going to have to end and come back to this point. When we think about the matter of the, the government, God established the government. Look in the book of Romans. He gives the details of the government. He sets the order and the structure. So one has to be very careful when one looks at the government and the role of the government. When we think about the church and they talk about separation of church and state, many people misunderstand what that really means. It doesn't mean that the people cannot pray at games or in public places, at schools. It meant that when we came here, one of the things that was important was that the church or the government did impose its value on people to be able to establish their own religion and actually reign freely and develop and worship God as they saw fit. That was part of the practice. And so that when one is able to, to have a separation, is so that government does not put its religion saying that we're going to have only one religion and you've got to to worship the king here. And so when they put that in the Constitution, it was not to keep the churches out because the church was a regular part of everyday life. In the schools they read scriptures. They prayed. It was so that the government would interfere because of the oppressive state from before. If you remove God from church or from, if you remove God and the church from everyday life and everything on the outside, you get the problem that we have today. God was never meant to be excluded from his own creation. Man, my time is already up. Let me get to point two and just take about three more minutes and we're going to conclude this. I'm going to come back. So entitlements, let me say, makes you feel that you deserve something that you may not really have worked for. When we think about God's grace, and I'm going to put this here, I'll say this now. When we think about God's grace and mercy, God's grace gives us something we don't deserve. So when the government gives you something, there should be an appreciation But not a demand that it owes you. See, when God gives his grace to you, he is giving you something that you didn't work for. It is a gift. When he gives you his mercy, he is not giving you something that you really deserve, which is punishment or the consequences of sin. So God's grace and mercy are vital to understand for people in the body of Christ and in this world. We live under the grace and the mercy of God. The church has its existence because of God's grace. These workers and this parable is dealing with God's grace. This, ha- this landowner didn't have to give them work. He didn't have to give them anything. But he did. Point number two, and I'm just going to make up a couple points and end here. Payment and responses. Payment and responses. The owner of the vineyard had his foreman to call the workers in at the end of the workday. And starting with the person hired last, who worked only one hour, gave him a denarius. I'm going to put a pause right there and pick up the next time. The owner told his manager, call all of the workers and pay them. Don't start with the ones that started at 6 a.m. Start with the ones that came at the 11th hour. And give them a denarius. A day's wage. Pause. Dot, dot, dot. We're going to pick up right there. So if you want to hear the conclusion, you got to be here next week. As we conclude, the title is, We Are Recipients of God's Grace. Aren't you glad that God gives us the freedom to worship Him, to honor Him? He gives us the freedom to even say no to Him. But with such a loving and a great God, why would people say no to him? And in conclusion, I need to go back to this one rich ruler who came to Jesus, who asked, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And the Bible says, if you read that story, this young man, when the information came to him, what to do, he turned away and walked away away, turned away with a satin face when God's grace and mercy were being offered. You have nothing in this world that should be used to bargain for your soul. You don't have enough stuff, enough money that you should use to bargain with your eternal destination or destiny bow your heads Lord we are recipients of your grace and we need to know that we are people that's been called to go out and work in your vineyard <laughs> and we are dependent upon your grace and your mercy not only are you a fair God you pay wonderful wages spiritually spiritually You bless us beyond measure. We look at the kingdom of heaven. The fact that you have even put that on the table for us is worth more than anything that we could ever possess. And today we praise your name for you being generous and kind to us. We have to be so very careful that we are not demanding, but that we show appreciation to you But we know that our help and our life and our strength comes from you. And you give us the freedom to be able to show you through the exercise of our worship how much we appreciate you. We can just simply say thank you, Lord, for your wonderful gift. Thank you, Lord, for those willing to help. Thank you, Lord, for those willing to bless. Thank you for all your provisions. Now help me. Also, Lord, be a giver and not only a consumer, but to be a worshiper and giving thanks to the almighty God. We do love you today and we give you glory. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Pick up a part two next week. Amen. God bless you.